Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm a big fan of art. I uh, really enjoy listening to classical music. I uh, can look at paintings, not modern contemporary art, you know, like the banana duct tape to a wall sort of thing. That's nonsense, but a really good painting I can stare at for hours and notice something I hadn't noticed before. One area that has been a blind spot to me, however, is poetry. I have not understood poetry, even good poetry, even popular poetry at all. And then someone a few years ago introduced to me the the wrinkle that most poetry is either intended or better read out loud. See, I'm a reader, and I, read, I actually read really fast, and, and you miss so much of the art of poetry when you read it in your head and you just blow through a verse. If you take time and read it out loud, you incorporate other senses into the process and you learn to appreciate it. And so, for the last couple of years, I've been appreciating poetry a little bit more. This is exactly what is going on with Psalm 136. That's our psalm appointed for this Sunday. It was likely uh, used in Jewish liturgical worship in the temple during the Old Testament, and it was likely intended to be read out loud and responsively. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but as the sermon developed in my head and then on paper, I realized it's absolutely necessary for us to do because it is intended that you experience this psalm both in your ears and as you participate in it. And so, uh, this is not Philip's fault, this is my fault. I have changed the scripture reading for the sermon today. We're going to read responsively all of Psalm 136. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and the way this works is I'm going to read the first half of every verse, and then you're going to do the echo. And the echo we're going to do from the English Standard Version, just so we're all on the same page. If you don't have the ESV before you, this is what you say when I'm done. For his steadfast love endures forever. So I read something and then you say, for his steadfast love endures forever. All right, so we're going to do this together, reading all of Psalm 136 in Jesus' name. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his love 
to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowly estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Heavenly Father, these are your words and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. That psalm has a different effect on us when we go through the task and design of repeating it back and forth to each other. The idea, quite obviously in the text of Psalm 136, is that we hear about the steadfast love of the Lord, but that we hear about it in regular ways. And the idea that we're going to explore this morning is that God's steadfast love, we are reminded of that in multiple different ways, but it's only delivered to us in one way. And so turning our eyes back to Psalm 136 this morning, first truth we hear is that creation is a reminder of God's steadfast love. The first nine verses of Psalm 136 highlight the miracle of God's creative power. He made the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars. Literally, all of creation reminds us of God's steadfast love. It's ordered beauty, it's intricate detail, even its abundant provision for us as humans is designed to orient us towards God, but especially to orient us towards His steadfast love. All of creation is evidence of His goodness, of His mercy, and of His love. In fact, the simple fact that anything exists at all, 
much less that it is good and beautiful, points us to the wisdom and intelligence of a benevolent creator. Think about what people grasp after in confessing the theory of evolution. We are a bunch of random, undirected bags of chemicals floating haplessly and directionless through the universe, and when it's all over, it's all over. For those who have been taught and inundated with the theory of evolution, the real question is why do we the real question isn't why do we exist? The real question ought to be why does anything exist? If we are purposeless, if we are not the cause of directed intelligence, why on earth are we here? It doesn't make any sense. But creation, the world and universe around us, is in fact God's own proclamation, not only that He exists, but that He is good and benevolent and intelligent and in control of everything. Creation is a reminder of God's steadfast love. But we are not called to seek out God's steadfast love in creation. We're not called to receive God's steadfast love by looking around in creation. Why? Because creation itself has failed. It has been corrupted by sin. The violence among the nations in the world around us is testimony to this. The, the violence in creation uh, predators and venomous snakes and spiders are a testament that creation is breaking down. In fact, we read in Romans, just a chapter ahead of what Geraldine read this morning, that creation groans against the sin of humanity. Every natural disaster, every tragedy is evidence of a sinful and fallen creation. Earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, all is evidence that creation is breaking down. And if we mistake creation for God's steadfast love, then we put ourselves in a bad place if creation attacks and leaves us in need. Has God abandoned us? Is God punishing us for some sin we haven't confessed or lesson we failed to learn? Does God hate us? By using creation alone as a measurement of God's steadfast love, what we end up doing is placing ourselves on a sliding scale of morality that more often than not measures our own performance rather than the goodness faithfulness, and love of God. And so the goodness and beauty and order we see in creation is a reminder that God loves us. But we should not seek God's love there alone. The next truth we hear from the psalmist this morning is that history is a reminder of God's steadfast love. The middle section of Psalm 136 extends all the way from verse 10 to verse 22, and it measures an important and significant swath of ancient Israel's history, from, Exodus, from the Exodus in Egypt all the way to the beginning of the conquest of the Promised Land. And through it all, God declares to His people His 
faithfulness. He rescues His people. He overcomes their enemies. He guides and sustains them as they wandered in the wilderness. And ultimately, He delivers them to the promised land as He declared to them. In fact, not just in Psalm 136, not just in the Psalms, but all over Scripture, God uses His Word to remind us of His faithfulness in history. He directs us to look at the evidence. The evidence of His consistent action in our lives. And this reminds us of His steadfast love. History is a reminder of God's steadfast love. But we're not called to seek out or receive God's steadfast love there. We're going to pause right here because we need to be very careful with how I teach this and how you hear it. It is entirely true that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, in history to deliver us from our sins and to conquer sin, death, and the devil in history. That's entirely true. But when I'm talking about not looking or receiving God's steadfast love in history, what I'm talking about is nostalgia. That we do not receive God's steadfast love just thinking nostalgically about how He has blessed us in the past. Using only nostalgia as evidence of God's steadfast love either breeds pride that leads to unrepentance or it breeds despair. This is because just as history records God's faithfulness, history also records our unfaithfulness. And in the midst of our unfaithfulness, it records the reality that God Himself often shows up with wrath and anger against human cruelty, against human rebellion, against human injustice. And when God shows up in that way, it's terrifying. Just consider the history that God covers for us here in His Word in Psalm 136. The very first thing that the nation of Israel did after walking out of the Red Sea on dry ground is complain about God's unfaithfulness. Try as I might, two realities are true in my mind. One, I cannot comprehend the lack of ungratefulness that it would take to experience a miracle as dramatic as the Red Sea and literally to turn around the next day and say, God, what have you done for me lately? That does not compute. But at the same time, I know down in the depths of my heart, I would have done exactly the same thing. I use my pinky here as evidence. Okay? If you can see it, you have amazing eyesight. But my pinky is dark, black and blue. And I was splitting wood yesterday and and, and lost grip on one of the logs I was carrying to the wood splitter. No, I do not chop wood. I have a power splitter for that, okay? Uh, I lost grip on one of the logs and it spun out of my hands and pinned my pinky against... The, the iron bar of the wood splitter. And this log was probably about 40, 45 pounds. 
And that hurt a lot. I kept my tongue in front of my kids, which I was pleased to do. But one of the very first fleeting thoughts that ran through my head is, why does God hate me? Why does all this dumb, clumsy stuff happen to me all the time? When I think about my life, 43 years of human existence, and God has been faithful to me. He has provided for me, often miraculously. And yet, when things go sideways, my first move almost always is to grumble, to complain, to cry out to God and say, why are you so unfair? That's the testimony of human history. You go back and look at Israel after grumbling repeatedly against God after, after the Red Sea, they got ready to conquer the Promised Land and they send 12 uh, spies into Canaan. Ten of them came back and said, we got no shot. We're toast. And the Israelites said, oh no, why did you do this? And they grumbled against God and God got mad. And then the Israelites panicked because God got mad and then they tried to conquer the promised land and they got routed on their first attempt to conquer the promised land. And what's so interesting in Psalm 136 here as they confess the wanderings in the wilderness and God's faithfulness, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness because they did not believe God. Because they rebelled against God. And it's a miracle that even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful to us. And as we think about human history, And as we think about God's interaction with His creatures throughout history, we do not dare use history as a measure of God's steadfast love. Because more often than not, history is a measure of our unfaithfulness. It is a measure of our rebellion. It is a measure of God's response of anger to our obstinance and stubbornness. If history and if creation are but reminders of God's steadfast love, where are we to look? Where are we to receive God's steadfast love? 26 times this morning, you all confessed with the saints for all time and in all places that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. If it endures forever, where is it? How do we find it? Where and when and how do we receive it? And the answer is the cross. At the cross, we find God's steadfast love. And if you're paying attention to Psalm 136, you should be asking, but, but wait, the cross isn't mentioned at all here in Psalm 136. It's not mentioned explicitly, but it is there. Look at the main verbs used in verses 23 and 24 and 25. God remembers... God rescues and God gives us food. He feeds us and nourishes us. 
All three of those things are indicators to us of God's steadfast love. And we see them at the cross where Jesus Christ died for us. You see, when God remembers, He just doesn't recall, He acts. And here, the writer of Psalm 136 reminds us that when God remembers His people, He acts on their behalf. He rescues us. God remembers us, and then He rescues us. And those two verbs are directly related to what Jesus did for us on the cross and with the empty tomb. God remembered our lowly estate, and so He acted. He put on human flesh. He lived a completely perfect life. And then He died in our place and shed His blood to cleanse us from our sins and rose again to demonstrate to us in the entire world His victory. Our victory over sin, death, and the devil. God rescued us because we can't rescue ourselves. But in this remembering and in this rescuing, He does one last thing. He feeds us. He nourishes and sustains our faith so that we always cling to the truths of the Gospel. Because it's not just that Jesus died on the cross in our place 2,000 years ago, and it's not just that Jesus rose again from, two, rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. It's that God delivers to us the reality of those promises time and time and time again as we open His Word and as we receive His sacrament. He delivers to us in our eyes, in our ears, and even our mouths His steadfast love. And that's the miracle, and that's the wonder, and that's the joy of this psalm. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It is sure and certain and never ever going away. It is eternal. But in our doubts, in your doubts, in my doubts, and in your fears, and my fears, as creation groans against our sin, and as history reminds us of our sin, God wants you to know that He's dealt with your sin. He's taken care of your sin. He's washed you clean from your sin. And He has conquered once for all and forever your sin. It's not coming back. It belongs to Jesus. And He's won the victory. And so He delivers this reality to you in His Word. And He delivers this reality to you at the altar, in, with, and under the bread and wine of communion so that you can know for certain that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.